Well, on Monday of this week, um, I caught a flight uh, to join my family in Colorado for the end of a vacation. They had been there for several days and, and uh, several reasons I wanted to come and join them. So I flew out on Monday and drove back on Wednesday. And, and I will say that flying to Denver is a lot better than driving to Denver, okay? So, um, but anyway, on the flight, I ended up sitting next to a large family uh, with a number of kids. And so I was on the aisle seat and dad was sitting beside me and the youngest son was sitting near the window. And then across the aisle was mom and two other small kids. And then behind us was two teenagers that apparently were also their kids too. And so I, uh, we were all going, getting a well. The flight was getting settled in to take off. And, and as everyone was settling into the flight, dad pulled out his phone and, and put some of those wireless headphones on that he's going to listen to some music. Uh, and I, I don't blame him. Many kids just block them all out and ignore that they don't, pretend they don't exist and it's all good world. And so uh, he puts his earphones on and, and he goes down to his phone and pushes play. And we're introduced to a, a 80s hair band that is, uh, is singing with all their gusto. And, and he doesn't realize that it's, it, I don't know if it's going into his headphones or not, but it's definitely being broadcast to the entire cabin of the airplane. And so uh, I believe it was Guns N' Roses. I'm not sure. But it was anyway, Guns N' Roses is entertaining us as we're flying and getting taken off. And, and he has no clue is the best part of it because uh, we're all, no one's saying, I didn't want to say anything to him, but the teenagers behind him are having a great old time because of dad's ineptitude with his technology. And so they're laughing, having a good old time that dad's broadcasting Guns N' Roses to the whole cabin. And uh, eventually they do tap him on the head and say, dad, dad, your music's playing Elvis. And so he goes through the whole dad thing of, well, what do I do wrong? And all the things that the kids make you feel really stupid about because you don't know how to use technology. And you know that whole role if you have teenage kids. And so, um, and so they went through this and, and everything settled down. Everybody got a good laugh out of it, but the teenagers got a bigger laugh out of it. And I was left thinking, you know what? Dad's favorite kids are probably not the teenagers right now. And so uh, that's... Uh, that sometimes happens to us, that if you have multiple kids in your life or grandkids, there are moments that maybe some of them are more favorite than the others, and you would never own that, but you feel it down and deep, that these are not my favorite kids right now, the ones who are mocking me and make fun of, making fun of me on an airplane. And it reminded me of, uh, of a story I heard many years ago of, of, a, of a flight attendant who was going through her pre-flight speech, uh, as they always do, and, and there was a mom with two very noisy see kids on the flight with her. And so as she's going through the whole spiel, um, they get to the part where, well, in case of we lose cabin pressure and the oxygen mask falls down, they always tell you what, to, to get yourself taken care of first. And then, but then she looked right at the mom when she said this part of the speech, that if you have more than one child, pick the one that you like best and help them first. All right. So um, the favorite kid thing is not a, a new phenomenon. All of us, if you have multiple siblings, you've probably had the speech where mom or dad likes you best and you've had that argument um, about that. But we're going to pick up one more time with our story from Luke chapter 15. Uh, we looked at a, we've looked at this twice, uh, going back a few weeks. Uh, we've looked at, at the, the younger son a couple weeks ago. But today we want to look at this story from one more angle, and then we're going to move on to one more story of Jesus in our Jesus the Storyteller series here. Um, but Luke chapter 15 kind of stirs within us the question of, what was the father's favorite child? 
Um, the great thing about Jesus as a storyteller is that oftentimes he would introduce a character and maybe you really like that character at the beginning, but by the end of the story, you don't like them as much or vice versa. Maybe you just don't completely like, if you read the younger son's story, this kid's kind of a jerk. You don't like him very well. By the end of the story, you're thinking, well, maybe he's not all that bad after all. But then we, if you keep reading in Luke chapter 15, we oftentimes stop when the younger son comes home and the father embraces him. But if you pay close attention to that chapter, there are two sons in that story. And there are two sons in that story on purpose that Jesus is trying to make a point um, as you read the whole context of that chapter when the Pharisees are, are wondering, why in the world do you spend so much time hanging out with those sinners, with those people that just don't measure up in our eyes? Why do you spend so much time eating with them, talking with them, caring about them? Why do you care? And so Jesus tells the story in Luke chapter 15 of a father who has two sons. And so I want us to read that today, and I want you to think with me about which one is the dad's favorite son. And you may come to the conclusion where we're going to end up with that, that both of them are, are well-loved. But I guess it makes us ask the question, if you're a parent, which boy would you rather have? Would you have, rather have an immoral but humbled son, or would you rather have a very moral but very judgmental son. So which one would you rather have? And so as we read through this story one more time, I want you to read this story through the lens of, of a father who loves his sons very much. Luke chapter 15, verse 11, begins this way. That Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. So he divides both properties for both sons. Not long after that, though, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? So this is what I will do. I will set out and go back to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up, and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he, and he ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Go get the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Well, your brother has come home, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. And so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. 
Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so we're introduced to this story again in a way that reminds us that there are two sons in this story. But I want to start with this. I want to start with the whole father analogy because as you read through the Bible, Jesus introduced a way of thinking about God that was different. It was very revolutionary in a lot of ways. As you read through your Old Testament, God being referred to as father only is mentioned like 14 times. And usually it's in the context that God is the father of the nation of Israel, that, that he's the father of a nation. But when Jesus comes along over 250 times, he talks to God as father, not as of a nation, but as a personal relationship. There's a connection there that Jesus is redefining how people looked at God. It became very personal through the person and the ministry and the example of Jesus in fact, as you go through Jesus' life, his first words when he talked about, or that are recorded for us in the Bible, it's the story when he's 12 years old and, and his family accidentally leaves him in Jerusalem and they come back a day later looking for him and, and they find him in the temple and Jesus' words were, are you surprised that you find me at doing my father's work or in my father's house? And so there's that father connection at the very beginning of what Jesus says the last things Jesus says before he died was, Father, into your hands I commit my spirits. And so that father connection is bookended and it's everywhere that Jesus continued to talk to, his, to God as his father. Now, you and I have grown up and we talk to God as father all the time. That's not a new thing to us, but I want you to get the impact of that because Jesus is latching on to this whole father analogy all in the context of trying to help the Pharisees understand why does Jesus spend time with people that they don't think are worth spending time with? And Jesus draws out this whole father analogy. Um, in fact, he doesn't just do it as, as a distant father, but as a very close personal father. One of the things that Jesus would oftentimes do, he would use the, the word Abba, Father, which is even more personal than that. Um, when we have a little newborn or a child who's learning to speak, and, and they don't start off with just full sentences, right? They begin with syllables. And they would say, if, like for you and I, it's like Dada or Mama. Well, in, in Hebrew, the word for father was Av, or Abraham was Abraham, or Avraham, the father of many nations. And so um, that whole idea that if you're a child learning to speak, it, it's Ava, Ava. And so that was a very intimate, close, personal relationship of a small child to a father. And that's how Jesus referred and looked to his father. And so when he looked around to try to help the Pharisees understand, why does Jesus care about those people? Why does he to spend time with them? He used the father analogy he wants them to see that the reason that he cares so deeply about them is because he has tapped into that universal pain that a parent, that a father feels when it comes to their children and that most parents love their kids so much that it hurts and, and there's a pain when the child is lost or gone or, or not at the table. There's, a, there's a, a heartache. And so he's trying to help them to see that, that I spend so, so much time with them 
because their father's hearts will stay broken until his, his kids are gathered back around the table again. And so he uses that and redefines that for us and, and, and helps us to see that this father not only aches for the prodigal who was gone far to the faraway country, but as you read this story, I think Jesus is also telling the Pharisees, my father's heart aches for you too because you won't come into the party. You won't come into all that what God is trying to do and you both are distant from the father's table and he has a heart for both of you. And so when we read this story about a father and his sons, I want us to see that on the surface, they literally look like very different kids. But underneath, there's a lot of similarities between the younger son and the older brother. But I just want to highlight for you to see that you realize we both, I think if you read the book of Romans, you find that those first two or three chapters of the book of Romans that, that Paul makes a case that Gentiles who never knew God live far from God, they needed, they needed salvation. But the Jewish people who live close to God, they still needed salvation through Christ as well. And so I think you see some of that at work here as you look at these similarities between these boys. And so let's look at, there's five of them. We'll go through rather, rather quickly, but I just want you to see them and see the connections. And I want us to measure our own hearts and say, you know what, where, where do I find myself in this story? All right, number one is this. The first similarity is that both boys resented their father's authority. That both boys resented their father's authority. Both of them resent their father's leadership and his decision-making. Both revolt against the father in different ways. It's easy to see the wayward spirit in the younger son, right? He is bold and he's blatant. There's no hiding that. He is a stubborn sheep and he says to his father, I don't need you shepherding my life anymore. In fact, I'm going to go as far away as I possibly can from you so that I can do everything I want and you won't be there to tell me what to do anymore. He didn't stumble into the far country. He got up and he went boldly into it. He went to the far country on purpose because that's where his dad had no influence over his life. And so he could do whatever he wanted to do um, as a rebel. But you keep reading and the rebel spirit also roars in the life of the, younger, the older brother, excuse me, at the end of this text. It was just more discreet. His refusal to come into that party that his father was hosting was just as insulting in that culture as the younger one saying, hey, I hope it's, I just want you to die because I want your stuff, right? I want to get out of here, give me my inheritance. But his refusal to go into that, his father's party would have been a very glaring thing, right? For anyone in that party, if they were to watch this scene, they think that son is not respecting his father's authority because his father has hosted a banquet and, and he is showing his disapproval for his dad's authority and decision-making by refusing to come in and his anger towards his father. It was his way of saying, I have cast my vote against the decision of my father. He has no clue how to run our household anymore. And he showed his disdain. And so both of them are pushing away at their father's authority over their life. Both boys are trying to get out from underneath their dad. They just chose different ways to do it. And they both resented their father's authority. And do you know why? It's because the second thing I want you to see here is that both boys wanted their father's things more than they wanted their father himself. That both boys wanted their father's things. The discussion in both of these sons' uh, stories is about the father's stuff, right? And they just wanted the, their inheritance. They just wanted their stuff. And, and they are less concerned with, I want my father to be honored and glorified and pleased. That's not anywhere in the discussion. 
Both stories play out like, I just want dad's stuff. I don't really care about dad so much. Both, thun, both, thun, both, both sons thought that his wealth was the real goal. And what both boys really wanted was to throw a party and invite their friends. And on the guest list was not their father. They wanted to do something on their own away from him. And apparently neither boy thought much of their father from that perspective. That's what motivated the younger boy's actions. He believed the lie if he just had the things of his father that he would be happy. And the things that I want will make me happy and it'll give me a life where I can go and do whatever I want and I can buy it, I can drink it, I can smoke it, I can do it, I can do everything I want to do because this money allows me to, to live my life and be what I want to be. But it's the same motivation, ironically, that drives the oldest son's disobedience to his father's invitation to come in. He served his father for what he hoped he could get out of it. He wanted the father's things more than the father. I will illustrate this by my dumb dog who lives in my house and eats my food. Um, I have a dog. He's a Yorkie. He is named Shadow, um, which is Hebrew for he's a demon dog, okay? And so uh, Shadow's lived at my house for 12 years. And Shadow, for the first several years of life, was not a bad dog. But he has become an old, stubborn dog. And so he has trained me. And I have not trained him to anything, but he has trained me to this annoying thing that he does that when I let him out at any time of day, he will wander around the front yard. And if I'm not going to take him for a walk, I'll just let him out in the front yard and he will, he will walk. He knows where the border of our property is, right? I don't know how he knows it, but he knows it. And he will stand at that border and then he will turn and he will look at me because he knows I don't want him to go running away. Uh, he's going to do things in other people's yards and I'm going to have to go pick up. I don't want him to do that. But on the edge of the yard, he will stop and he will look back at me. And you could just tell he's just waiting. And I'll say, Shadow, come on, time to go inside. He will not move. He will not move for anything. He has no concern about whether I'm happy with him or pleased with him. In fact, until I say, let's get a treat or let's get a carrot, okay? He has trained me to give him a carrot or a treat. He will not move. If I say those words, though, it's a dead sprint back to the house, okay? So that illustrates the idea that he does not want me. He does not want me to be happy with him. He just wants treats and carrots, okay? You all understand that, right? So that's that, that's that nature. That's that attitude that I don't care about you, adult grown human. I've just trained you to give me what I want when I want it because you don't want to mess, you don't want to stand out here for 15 minutes arguing with me. Let's just give him the carrot and treat and we'll move on to other things. And that dumb dog, I think, illustrates um, this story so well that the, that the boys were a lot like that in some ways, that they served their father. They obeyed their father, at least the older one did, not out of a spirit of I love my dad, love to do what, he, what makes him feel good and look good. They just wanted dad because dad had things. And dad's things were a way to what they really wanted. And a lot of us can serve God the same way. It can be dangerous for us that we can fall into the older brother's trap, that our goodness becomes a bargaining chip. Our goodness can become a weapon, a way to control God in our minds. That I went to church, God. I did those studies. I volunteered. I gave my tithe. Now you owe me, God. You deserve to give. I deserve to be, have an easy life or a healthy life or all my prayers answered the way I want and a ticket to heaven. But you can recognize that spirit at work in you when you begin to find that those things don't come to you, that life gets a little harder and maybe your prayers are unanswered. And, and what, what happens in your heart then? Maybe we get angry at God. We get angry at the church. We get angry at godly things 
because what's going on is that what I really want is God's blessings more than I want the heart of God, a relationship with God. And, and it can be very easy for us to fall into that if we're not careful, like the older brother did. Tim Keller tells the story of a gardener who once grew the biggest carrot he had ever grown. And he took it the next day to the palace because he wanted to give his carrot to the king. And he said, King, I grow carrots. That's what I do. And this is the best carrot I've ever grown or ever will grow. And so I want you to have it as a token of my respect for you. And the king was delighted and said to him as he was leaving, you know what? I, I own a plot of land next to yours. And so I, I want to give that plot of land to you because you're a good steward and, and you're going to grow a lot of great things there that we can both enjoy. And so the gardener went home rejoicing in the court that day was a nobleman who was watching this scene play out. And he thought, you know what, I, if this is what the king will do for a carrot, what will he do for, for something nicer? And so the next day he came to the king and he, he, he brought this beautiful stallion to him. And he says, I breed horses and this stallion is the best that I have ever bred. And I give it to you. And the king said, thank you very much. And the man stood there perplexed, and the king could tell by the look on his face that he was, he was not understanding and discerning the situation. He went on and said to the horseman, he said, let me explain. The gardener was giving me the carrots. You were giving the horse to yourself. You see, what's the motivation for why we do what we do? It, it seems as you read the older son's story that he's not as concerned about the heart of the father as he is about just... You're, you're wasting my stuff now, right? Because everything that's left is now mine because the younger son's already got his inheritance. This is my stuff. What are you doing with this? Why are you doing this? He questions the dad. He's angry with the father's decisions because he didn't really want the relationship with his dad as much as he wanted the dad's stuff. And so neither the younger son or the older son thought a relationship with dad was enough. It always had to be about the stuff that they were gonna get from their dad. And we can fall into either one of those traps as well if we're not careful. And that leads us to the third thing I want you to see, that both boys saw their relationship with, with, as something to be earned. That both boys saw their relationship as something they needed to earn. There's a, a, a telling word in this text. The younger son comes back and, and it's very evident for him, right? He knows what he's done. He knows that he's made a mess of it. And, and his whole speech to his dad is, look, I know I'm not worthy to be at the table with you. Being at the table, you got to earn that. And you got to continue to be worthy of it, being at the table. And I know, Father, what I've done has disqualified me from being at your table so just make me like one of your hired men. Let me work it off. I'll work for a while and maybe after a while I'll earn my good standing back at the table. And the father's response to him was, the reason that you were at the table had nothing to do with your merits before. You were at the table because you were my son. And so you're welcome back at the table because you are my son. And so the younger boy wasn't the only one though trying to pay off a debt it seems. Because did you hear the word the older boy used when the father came out to him? What was the word he used when he described his, his work for his dad? All these years I have, remember what it was? I have slaved for you. That made the heart of the dad feel pretty good, I bet, right? My son thinks I'm a slave master. That all these years I've slaved for you. All these years I've been slaving for you. Slaving, and it wasn't love that had him out in the field serving his dad and working for his dad. It wasn't devotion. It, it was duty. He saw himself as more of a hireling than a son. 
And so that he believed that his toil had obligated the father to owe him what he deserved. And so, again, ask the question, how does that make the heart of the father feel? Does any dad want his kids to see him primarily as a taskmaster? I would say no. Just like the demerits didn't cost the younger son his place at the table, the older son's merits didn't earn his status at the table. They were there because they were sons and they were loved by the father. That's why they were at the table. It wasn't because of merits or, or demerits. The older boy was trying to make himself a slave for something that was already his. And he says, I have slaved away and I never got a party. And dad says, well, why not? Because everything here is yours. You own it. It's ours. You can have a party with your friends. But he never saw himself as a beloved son. Maybe he never felt worthy to ask or, or deserving of that. And so the, the heart of the father in this story is, is wrestling with a younger son. But more importantly, he's wrestling with an older son who feels like maybe he doesn't feel as loved. No, you never celebrated me, Father. And the Father says, it's all yours. I love you. And you see, that's the fourth thing I want you to see is that both of these sons broke their father's hearts. Both of them broke the father's hearts. You see, this father had two sons, one that was too bad to be honest and truthful until the middle of the story, but one that was too good to be bearable. Both sons distanced themselves from their dad and in their own way, they figured out how to keep dad at arm's length. And in their own way, both of those boys were dead to their father and at least the heart of the father and the life he wanted them to have. And so it brought pain into the heart of the, da of the dad. Again, as we said at the beginning, you should read this text from the heart of a father who, who would love his sons. Proverbs 17, verse 21 says, to have a fool for a child brings grief. There is no joy for the parent of a godless fool. Um, and I think that reflects maybe the heart of this, young, this, this dad. As, as he's watching his sons make these decisions and come to their places, there was little joy because he felt the pain of a father whose son's hearts were going in the wrong direction from him. And so maybe this isn't more than just a story for you. Maybe this is life for you and you feel that pain. But as a parent, there's a pain that sometimes comes with it that, that you see that when you hear the phrase that God, God's heart breaks for his lost kids, you feel that. You don't just know that and agree with that. You feel that. And so here's two sons who had broke their father's heart through their actions, through their words, through their, mostly because of their attitude of their heart that would just wanted to be away from their father. They didn't love their father for who he was or what he wanted to do for them. And it's why the father goes out to both. And I love that part of the story that just like the father goes out to the prodigal son, who's the younger son, who's coming home, he goes out to the older son who refuses to come and join the party. And so that leads us to the last thing I want you to see that both boys could do nothing to stop their father from loving them. They were frustrating. They made poor decisions. They probably hurt him in many ways, but nothing they could do would stop their father from loving them. And that walk that he made, the run that he made to the younger son and the walk that he made to the older son demonstrate that he loved them both. And I think that's the beautiful part of the story because sometimes we read Pharisees and you think, well, Jesus loved the sinners. He loved everybody else, but he sure had it in for the Pharisees. But I think you're wrong when you think that. Because I think this story illustrates that God had a heart for both of his children. He had a heart for the kids that were just lost in their sinfulness. He had a heart for them to come home. 
But he had a a heart as well for those that were lost in their goodness, who could only see that we're so good and we're above these people and we don't need them. We don't need God. We don't care about them or what God thinks of them. And Jesus would say, you know what? I will go to both. And I love both. And I want both of you to come back to your father because just like it was not too bad and too far for them to run away in the far country and they could still come home, it was not too far for them to come home from their goodness and their arrogance that they had um, demonstrated before him. You see, he loved his lost kids in the pig pen and he loves his lost kids in the pew. Jesus was not a Pharisee to the Pharisees. He loved them. He, he cared about them. That's why he spent time with them too because he longed for them to come home as well. The Bible story in the very beginning of the Bible begins with this question after Adam and Eve's sin. God comes into the garden and says, Adam and Eve, where are you? And that question is a relevant question that if you kind of follow that theme to the Bible, you're always asking God or seeing God ask the question, where are my kids? And so through different covenants and different ways that God worked through scripture, he's always trying to come to us, to be with us, uh, answering the question, where are you? I will come to you, just like the father in this story does. And so ultimately, he came in the person of Jesus to find us and bring us back to his table. God wants a relationship with you. But the bigger question I think a story like this raises for us is, well, what kind of relationship do you want with God? What kind of relationship do you want with God? You see, this story seems to indicate that you can live right under the Father and still be far from the heart of your Father. Some people avoid God, and I love this phrase when I read it a few weeks ago. Some people avoid God by living very bad, but some people avoid God by being very good. But both of them are distant from God and his heart and what he wants to be doing in them. You see, God doesn't want dutiful, the dutiful work of slaves. He wants the willing, joyful affection of sons. And so God sent us the help of Jesus. He sent us the help of his Holy Spirit to give us what we need and to help us find our way back home. But the thing that he wants from us is that heart that loves the heart of the Father. Galatians chapter four, verse six, reminds us that nowhere, and I think before I read this, let me just say this. I look at both these sons and I I look at the younger son when he came home and I think it would have been hard for him to feel comfortable working at home for a while because he knew what he'd done. He knew that he probably wasn't worthy in the world's thinking of worthy to be home, to be right with dad again. That the older son had an arrogance about him that he felt he was more worthy than he probably was. But I love what Galatians chapter six, verse four, verses six and seven says, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. God never wants you to look at him and think, I, I'm a slave to God. He always wants you to realize your sonship, uh, that you are his daughter because he loves you. And it's not because of your merits or your demerits that that, that roller coaster rides. It's about that loving connection that God has for us. And so I guess I would just ask you to to stop and to think with me today as you read that story. Maybe your story reads a little bit more like the younger son. 
and you've got a long line of pretty public and wild rebellion in your life, and you know that, and uh, maybe others know that too. And so that was your way of running from God. I'm just going to run far from him and do whatever I want to do. But maybe your story reads a little bit more like the older son, a little more churchy, a little more involved in good moral things. I did a lot of things, that, but, but underneath all of those good things, it was never me loving God. It was me either trying to ease a guilty conscience or, or trying to earn my way back to God. Or it was me trying to just say, hey, I just, I'm going to rebel in my own way because there's this prideful thing that we can do and we can settle in our minds. I've got, I'm better than them. And so God must love me more because I'm better than them. But I think this story shows that both of those hearts are far from what God wants from us. He wants that close, heartfelt connection that the younger son comes home and knows I am loved in spite of, I am forgiven, I am thrown a party for. But for the older son, God wants us to not think, hey, don't be, think you're a slave out there. I want you to be my beloved son just like I want the younger son to be my beloved son, living at my table not because of merits and demerits, but because the Father has loved us. The Father has shown his grace and his mercy and his love for us. And so as Jesus, as we leave this story behind, as Jesus answers the question again, why does Jesus hang out with all those people? If you find yourself, and that's more of my story, I grew up in the church, um, did a lot of churchy things, and it was easy to, to worry about all the religious things I was supposed to be doing, but I never once had the heart of the Father that, that kind of looked out and worried and longed for the younger brothers to come home. And so there's this middle ground where the Father wants us. And so wherever you find yourself today, I pray that we would come to God with a, a heart of acceptance, uh, with a heart of saying, God, you love me not because I performed or I was better than or because I, I made a mess and how could you ever love me, but just that love that is available to all, that when we surrender everything about myself, my ugliness or my righteousness, my self-righteousness, that I come and there's this humility, there's this brokenness, there's this beautiful place where all of those things are, are, are pushed away and there's this beautiful, healthy um, love that God fills us with. And so I pray that no matter what your story is today, that that story of God's love for us would be the thing that we center our lives around. Would you pray with me, please?